The reading this evening is taken from Jeremiah chapter 32, which is on page 794 in the Church Bibles, 794. We're actually not going to read all of the passage. It's quite long, and Stephen reckoned it would take me 14 minutes. So we're going to uh, actually read a slightly abridged version. Um, I'll guide you as we go through as to where we'll be reading each time. This is set in the year 588 B.C., And Jeremiah is in prison for speaking God's words and the Babylonian army are besieging the city of Jerusalem. So we're going to start reading at verse 6 in chapter 32. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth, because as nearest relative to it, It's your right and duty to buy it. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel, and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deal, the deed, had it witnessed and weighed out the silver on the scales. Now move to verse 14. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. After I had given the deeds of purchase to Barak, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Moving now to verse 25. And though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to give this city into the hands of the Babylonians and to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Who will capture it? The Babylonians who are attacking this city will come in and set it on fire. They will burn it down, along with the houses where the people aroused my anger by burning incense on the roofs to Baal and by pouring out drink offerings to other gods. The people of Israel and Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. Indeed, the people of Israel have done nothing but arouse my anger With what their hands have made, declares the Lord. From the day it was built until now, this city has so aroused my anger and wrath that I must remove it from my sight. Moving to verse 36. You are saying about this city, by the sword, famine and plague, it will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. 
They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. This is what the Lord says. As I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will give them all the prosperity I have promised them. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. My name is Stephen Dimitri. I'm the youth minister of Bishopton Church. Great to see you all here this evening. And I first came to Brighton eight years ago. And, and, and eight years ago, me and my friend Sam, we spent the night sleeping on a, a, a bench outside a church. Ask me later, I'll tell you the full story. Um, but, but as you do when you sleep on benches outside churches, right, we wake up at four in the morning. Um, and as you do, uh, we went down to the beach, because that's just what you do. Um, and down the beach, like, like, it, it was scary. Right? It was pitch black. And, and, and not just that, but there were these dark, looming clouds that, that just hung so foreboding and deep over us, right? And then there was a sea that stretched out like, like, like this endless ocean of darkness. Whoa. But as we sat there, you know what happens. Like, like, like the, the, the first rays of sunshine began to pierce through the clouds. Right? Light in this infinite chasm of darkness. Oh, breathtaking. I can recommend going to Brighton Beach four in the morning. Oh, amazing stuff. And see, um, Jeremiah uh, so far has read a, a bit like... Um, those dark looming clouds. Uh, it's full of judgment messages that feel heavy and weighty. Um, and, and yet, Jeremiah 30 to 33 stands alone as this little book of consolation, like a glimmer of hope. A ray of sunshine bursting through the clouds with a big message, there is hope. So like, if you've been finding Jeremiah heavy going for the past few weeks and months, hope is here. Yes. Hope is here. And see, Jeremiah is also confusing for another reason because um, it's a collection of Jeremiah's sermons over the years and bits of his life thrown in, in there too. So it doesn't really like flow chronologically. It's kind of like jumps all over the place, uh, everywhere. So I thought I'd um, do a little uh, timeline to help us. Look at that. History. Here we go. So um, in 597 BC, the, the, the Babylonians come along and, and they, take, um, they, they take some the cream of the crop from Jerusalem, like the best of the best, the best workers away. And then we get here in 588 BC. The Babylonians are back, besieging the city. Have a look at verse 1. Um, that's where we're going. Chapter 32, page 794. So the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. So Babylonians are outside and they're here for everything. This is the judgment promised by God. And it's here. 508 BC. And did you hear where Jeremiah was? Have a look again at verse 2. He's confined in the courtyard of the guard. Basically, he's in prison. He's in prison for speaking God's word. And so like, from where Jeremiah is sitting, everything looks hopeless. He can hear the Babylonian cries outside the walls as they're besieging the city. He's in prison, chained for speaking up God's word. Like from where he's sitting, those clouds seem very dark. And yet God's got an answer. God's got a great plan. Have a look at verse 6. God's great plan through the gloom. 
the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Sham, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth. <laughs> Jeremiah's in, in prison. The city is doomed. And God's big plan is to buy a field. Like, what? Really? What's going on? Um, I, I, I did some research um, into the housing market stuff because I'm not very good at house stuff. So I did some research. KO, take these nuggets on board. These are for you. Um, apparently, January is the best month to buy a house in. Yeah. Uh, and May to June, the worst month to buy houses in because houses are high price and they, and they go quickly. Nuggets for you. But nowhere in all my research does it say buy a house in the midst of a Babylonian siege. Like, like generally, invading armies bent on conquest does not promote a fly of activity on the housing market. Like, like you don't buy property in siege time. That, that's just a standard. It, it, it'll be like um, buying a book in a room on the Titanic as it's sinking. Like, ridiculous. So, so when, when your cousin comes up to Jeremiah, there's one thing he should say. No thanks, cuz. I'm happy. I'll keep my money, thanks. No, 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 I'm good. The city's doomed. I don't want to waste my money on this field. And yet look what he does in verse 8. The end of verse 8. I knew this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field. Weighed out from 17 shekels, um, signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed. And you can imagine those witnesses there, like watching this whole thing going on. Like, Jeremiah, you're in chains, the, the city's doomed, and you're buying a field. He's buying a field with no access to it because there's an army in the way. Like, on land currently occupied by the Babylonians. Like, what's he doing? <laughs> what is he doing? Well, he's trusting God. He, he's trusting God. At verse 8, he says, uh, uh, I knew this was the word of the Lord. He's trusting God, and God says there is hope. Because have a look at verse 15. Verse 15, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be brought on this land. See, that field Jeremiah's buying is like a huge, big symbol of hope. It's a huge prop. Um, and if you ever teach the Bible at the to, to, uh, front of church, in children's groups, in, in youth groups, whatever, use props and illustrations. God loves them. And this field is a massive prop. He's saying, this field is a reminder that you'll be back on this land. I'm going to bring you back. There is hope because I will bring you back. In normal service, we assumed this field is not worthless because I'll bring you back. And you can buy and sell again. There's hope through the gloom. And yet, look at verse 14. God says, take these documents, like the sealed and unsealed one, um, uh, and put them in a clay jar so they'll last a long time. Um, Here's my clay jar. It's not quite Jeremiah's one, but, but it is. So they have these big clay jars, right? And they put like tar and pitch on top of it to, to, to seal the documents, keep them safe. So they last for a long time. God's point is, it's not a quick fix. You're not coming back soon. You're going to be gone years. But there's hope. That, that jar is a symbol of hope. Jeremiah, look at that jar and remember, there is hope through the gloom. You'll be back. There's hope. And so Jeremiah buys this field, right? But, but, but it's amazing because um, you sort of get a picture of him wrestling with God. Because he's, he can imagine him sitting there in prison. He's just bought this field, paid this money, and he just like starts going, what have I done? Like it's that kind of thing. And look what he does in verse 16. I prayed to the Lord. 
Ah, Sovereign Lord. Only the ah there isn't like, ah, Sovereign Lord. It's more like, ah, Sovereign Lord. It's turmoil and distress. He's like, what have I done? I've just bought a field with no prospect. God says I'm going to be back. What have I done? He's wrestling with God. He's frustrated. The promise seems so far-fetched to him, so distant, that he's finding it hard to trust God. And so he prays, and he prays by talking about how good and big God is, and then he goes on to talk about how bad the people are, and he ends his prayer in verse 25. Have a look at verse 25. This is this real wrestling R moment. He says, Though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. <laughs> it's kind of like um, this whole passage should end with one of these. This is called an interrobang, in case you don't know. Now, I'm a classic overpunctuator. I put exclamation marks, question marks everywhere, all over the place. I love them. And this is the best because it's a mixture of both. Oh, the interrobang, right? Uh, it's a question mark, exclamation mark combo. And it basically is kind of like that, 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 that sense of what? Disbelief. I love it. It's great. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, but, 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 but Jeremiah 25 should end with that, shouldn't it? Like, buy the field of silver and have the transaction witnessed. What? Are you serious, God? That's what Jeremiah's doing. He's wrestling with God because well, it's hard to trust God when you're in prison and the Babylonian army at your doorstep. It's hard to look past the immediate doom and gloom to a bright future. And that's true for us too, isn't it? It's hard for us to trust God when he says there is hope, when the immediate feels so dark and dense. When, when, when depression and darkness seems to go on forever and ever and ever. Uh, when, when exam pressure and stress, it, it feels like it's breaking us apart and we're crushed, away, crushed under the weight of this stress and this pressure. Or when the sin battles seem so vibrant and alluring and tantalizing in our face. Or when friends and family are struggling acutely and suffering painfully. It's hard to, to trust God when he says there's hope. And I wonder, when that happens, where do you turn? Do you go to social media and let the whole world know what's going on? Or do you go to Netflix and like shut yourself and pull away? See, Jeremiah shows us the best thing we can do. He goes to God. Verse 16, he turns to the Lord and prays. He wrestles with God. He's real with God. And that's a great place for us to go to turn to God, not away from him. Our God is big enough to handle our frustrations and our wrestlings. He's big enough to hear them. So we can be real and just like pour out our hearts to him because he's big enough to heal and he's big enough to help. And so Jeremiah's there wrestling. He pours out his heart and God answers. And, and did you see his answer in verse 27? Look at verse 27. It is a good one. Um, Jeremiah's wrestling with God and God comes down and he answers and he says this in verse 27. I am the Lord. The God of all mankind is anything too hard for me. He says, Jeremiah, I'm the God of the impossible. I can do this. And see, um, as you go older, as you get older, KO again, this is for you, you'll realize that there's certain things you can't do. That, 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 like you're not invincible. Like, like you're limited human beings. Um, for me, I, I realized this um, in, in, in Indonesia. Um, in Indonesia, the, the people there are 20 years old, thought, I can do everything. I'm amazing. I'm strong. I'm fit and healthy. I've got this. Easy. 
uh, and there's people there who are like shimmying up coconut trees, using like um, these like leather cord things and like going up and down and getting coconuts. And I thought, I've got this. And so 20-year-old Stephen gets a towel, ties on around his ankles, gets one in his hands, and starts trying to shimmy up this coconut tree. And you can guess what happens. Like, epic fail, and then some, like, crash to the floor in a heap. And not only that, right, but I, I hit my left elbow so hard that even now I've got a trapped nerve in there. So if I, like, knock it on something, the whole arm's like spasm of pain. It's a little reminder that, Stephen, you're limited. You can't climb coconut trees. There's so much more you can't do. But God's message to Jeremiah is, there is hope and your hope rests in me. Verse 27, is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? (laughs) He's saying, I'm the God who's not like you, who's not limited in power, in wisdom, uh, who's not limited in any way, shape or form. I can take on coconut trees. I can take on Babylonian armies. I'm the Lord Almighty, the God of the impossible. It's on me. It's on me. There is hope and your hope rests in me. And well, there's certain times in our life, aren't there, when God's ways aren't going to make sense to us. His timing's going to seem off. His plans are going to seem all over the place. It's then we need to remember verse 27. Then we need to trust in him. Because when a situation looks hopeless to us and there seems no way out, it's not hopeless to our God. It's never hopeless to him. He's the God who, 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 who can turn despair into delight, who can turn agony into amazement, who can turn groaning into glory. He is the God of verse 27 who can do the impossible. And he says, there is hope. Your hope rests in me. But then God carries on answering And he makes the situation seem even more impossible because he looks at the people. He starts looking at at these people that he's going to try and rescue and bring back. And man, like, they're pretty bad. I mean, we may start feeling sorry for them, thinking, oh no, they're prophets in in prison, they're under siege, oh. But then God tells us what they're really like. Have a little look on the next page at verse 32. This is what God says. The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they have done. God says, these people, they're evil. And look at who's evil. They're kings and officials, they're priests and prophets, the people of Judah, those living in Jerusalem. God's saying, everyone widespread, young and old, prince and pauper, they're all evil. And he gives us some examples of what they're like. Verse 33, they've turned their backs to me, not their faces, like cold rejection of God. Verse 34, they've set up vile images in the house that bears my name, idol worship, in God's temple. And then verse 35, child sacrifice. Like, these people are despicable, aren't they? Rotten through and through, deserving of judgment uh, uh, and wrath and punishment, not restoration and hope. Like, again, they're, they're people who've turned their backs on God, who've killed children, and who are worshipping idols, like setting up a picture of the woman you're having an affair with in your bedroom. That's what they're doing. If, if, if this restoration depends on them, it's not happening. In fact, Jeremiah, he uses the word heart 46 times in his little anthology thing, right? And his point is, right, um, the problem of the human heart is, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the heart. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. 
These people are rotten to the core through and through, so all they're being, all they think, say and do is evil. If it depends on them, they are not getting home. There's no way. There's no way. And that's why God says, verse 37, I will surely gather them. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. God says, it's on me. I've got this. These people don't deserve it. They can't earn it, but I will do it. I mean, look at how many times he says the word I in verses 36 um, to 40. Over and over and over and over and over again. And you see that, that, that the incredible grace and undeserved kindness. God says, they're messed up, but I'm going to bring them back. They deserve separation from me. I'm going to bring them to love me and know me and cherish me. Oh, this is grace upon grace upon grace. It's awesome. Incredible stuff. And yet, imagine the people sitting there reading this a, a few years later, right? In exile, in Babylon, these promises must have looked so far-fetched, so distant and so empty. Because, like, practically, invading armies don't give up the land they've taken. That just doesn't happen. I mean, again, history lesson for you. Um, in 1974, the Turkish government, um, on the 20th of July, ordered an invasion of Cyprus. Um, my family is from Cyprus. Um, my grandma, uh, we're Greek Cypriots, and my grandma lived, came from a little town in the north called Famagusta. Um, Trigamarin Famagusta. And on that day, she left everything behind. Left her home, her family, her friends, her land, her uh, everything, and fled to England. She, 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 she lost it all when, when the Turkish army invaded. And now, 44 years on, her home's gone, <laughs> family's gone, her, her, the, the land that, that we own, people on there. Like, invading armies do not give up the land they've taken. It just doesn't happen. And so for God's people, they must have been thinking, sitting there going, this is ridiculous, we're never getting home. And then we keep going back to verse 27. Verse 27, um, God says, um, is anything too hard for me? We need to keep reminding ourselves that God's the God of the impossible who can do the impossible. He says, it's on me, on me, on me. I've got this over and over and over again. It's on me. His point is, you're so messed up. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it, but I will do it. And a promise is only as good as a promise maker. And while God is the, the greatest promise maker of all time, and he does his word, he, he, he fulfills it, he completes it. See, um, here's a little timeline again, very exciting. 586 BC, the Babylonians wipe out uh, Jerusalem and they ransack the temple and they take people into exile. But then... In 538 BC, Ezra chapter 1, uh, King Cyrus of Persia says, get back to your land. He, he sends all the scattered people back home. Like, like, God, God's word comes true. God never fails. The people get back home. It's awesome. He's trustworthy. He will do the impossible. And he does. Yes. And, and see, this is so important for us to remember, especially in the gloom and darkness, that there is hope and our hope rests in God because, well, their story is like our story. See, the heart of our problem is the problem of our hearts. We're human beings who are rotten at the core of our, of our being who deserve judgment, punishment, and wrath. And yet, our hope rests in God. 
Because the story of the gospel, if we're trusting in Jesus, is that no matter how rotten we are, he welcomes us in. We can be his forever. He saves us, not because we're good. We don't earn it. We can't. Des- we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But he does it. He saves us if we're trusting Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And it doesn't stop there. See, this passage tells us why being a Christian is the best thing ever. Have a look at verse 37 to 41, because these are true for us now and will be fully realized in our future. These promises are ours. So I'm going to read these out. I'm going to read them out nice and slowly because they're beautiful. This is our future. And just bask in the warmth of this sunshine as we read. Verse 38. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so they will always fear me and that all will go well with them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and all my soul. Yes. Isn't our God amazing? Isn't that one of the most encouraging pieces of the Bible you've read in a long time? Have a little flick over again. Because isn't that just what we need? Our hearts are rotten and messed up and we turn away from God. Yet he's going to give us verse 39. Singleness of heart to never leave him again. Yes. We forget God and turn our backs on him. So he's going to put a right fear of, of him in us. Verse 40. So we'll never turn away again. Yes. Like our constant sin battles with porn, with gossip, with envy. Gone. On that day when freed from sinning, yes, it's going to be awesome. And like where our lives feel dark and difficult and just bad and empty, he's going to fill it with the unending outpouring of his relentless good. Oh, yes. And where our our cold hearts are distant from God, he's going to thaw them with with, with his relentless, unending love. Yes, there's just so much in here that is beautiful to uplift and enrich our souls. So so, so like, please read this passage over and over again this week, every day. Because this this is yours, trusting Jesus. These are your promises. These are true for you. An everlasting promise that can never fade, never spoil, never end. No more sin, no more struggles, no more suffering, no more darkness. I cannot wait for that day. Cannot wait. And yet, like the people, maybe we find it hard to look past the immediate to the future hope. So how do we keep on going? Well, here are three little ways to help us. To help us keep hoping. Number one, there we go. Remember God's character. Remember God's character. See, what we focus on will consume us. Uh, and Jeremiah, at the start of his prayer, what does he focus on? He focuses on God. On, that, on how big he is, how powerful he is, his sovereignty, his wisdom, his awesomeness. And if we started our prayers like that, oh, that would change our prayer life. That would change our life lives. Because if we start with how big our God is, our focus shifts from us to him. And we realize verse 27 is anything too hard for the Lord. So remember God's character. Secondly, remember God's promise. Um, John Piper says this about verse 40. He says, 
I can't imagine any greater verse in the Bible. Whoo, weighty stuff. He says, this is one of those promises I keep coming back to again and again when I get discouraged. Can you think of anything more encouraging than that God rejoices to do you good? He doesn't begrudgingly finish promises to you. It's his joy to do you good and not just sometimes, always. Yes, he's awesome. It's so true. So remember God's promises. Keep coming back to these verses. Maybe memorize um, verses 40 and 41 on the bottom of your sheet. Memorize those and get them in your heart. Inscribe there to remind yourself in the darkness that there's an infinite God who delights to do you infinite good. Remember these promises. And thirdly, remember God's son. See, Jeremiah, when he was there in exile, he had something concrete to remind himself of God's promise. He had this clay jar with, as a symbol of hope through the gloom. And see, for us too, we have something concrete to remind us of God's promises. And it's not a clay jar. It's a wooden cross. Remember God's son. See, Jesus died on the cross so that all who trust in him can know his promises for ourselves. It's kind of like he signed Jeremiah 32 with his blood. He paid for it. He bought it. So it's ours. And that's a guarantee. A guarantee that can ever change. Remember God's son. And so when life is battering you and breaking you apart, go to Jesus. Run to him. Stare at him. Stare at the sun till the sun starts to break through the gloom. There is hope, and our hope rests in God. So remember God's character, his promises, and his son. Let's pray. Father, praise you that you're the God of verse 27, who says, Is anything too hard for me? Lord, you're the God who is not limited in power and wisdom. You are awesome and mighty and huge. Lord, help us to remember this promise of hope. Even when it's hard and difficult, help us to remember your character, your promises, and your son. And thank you that Jesus has bought these for us with his own blood. That's amazing. Thank you, Lord. Amen.